Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. The following encore presentation of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze is a favorite from our archives. Hope you enjoy this second helping. You ate a pan of biscuits, a pot of kidney stew. You drank a gallon of milk. You ate a pound cake, too. A skillet of liver, a dozen of eggs, twelve hot dogs and eight broad legs. You know you It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. We're in our culinary studios at the Big G Gateway Community College, downtown New Haven. Five professional kitchens, part of their culinary program and part of our lives now. There's a TV studio. It's really quite amazing. So I'm with my food buddies, Chris Prosperi, Mark Raymond, and Alex Province, these are our senior contributors, senior producer, Robin Doyen Aiken is here. Hey, everybody. Hey. hey. Hi. All right. So, uh, Alex, tell me about, we're on this sort of dessert subject. Matt does this incredible, fast, brownie thing. Tell me how this works for yeah. him. How did he, he invent this? No. So I think he's tweaked it. It's not complicated, but it, they're called Mexican brownies. And it's your chance to kind of use Duncan Hines or Betty Crocker, but he says you have to use the chewy fudge kind. And so don't I love ask. that one. <laughs> All right. You follow the instructions on the box, but you just add a half a teaspoon of chipotle chili powder, which you get at the grocery store, and a half a teaspoon of cinnamon. And instead of making them in a uh, brownie pan, you do them in a muffin pan and you cook them for. 22 to 26 minutes. Matt's very precise. And 350 degrees. So the muffin pan gives you all these chewy edges. So every every bite is like a mm. corner. Yeah. Like Mexican yeah. hot chocolate in brownie mm. form. Yeah. It's like a actually, Mexican brownie muffin. Yeah. <laughs> you can... You can actually pair it with cajeta, which is like a Mexican caramel, like a dulce de leche mark. Oh, but yeah. instead of using yeah. milk, they use goat milk. And it's the same kind oh, of idea. yeah. And then these two together, it's this really easy Mexican dessert. If you're going to do taco night, get a box of brownie mix, add some cinnamon and chipotle chili powder, and there you go. And don't forget, we like to do brownies in the waffle iron because it gives them lots of high and low crispy edges. Cooks faster, too. So, But but this sounds so easy to do it in the muffin tins, and then Then everyone has one, and you pour the thing on top. Mexican caramel all in every hole. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Yummy. Yeah. Yeah. So, Alex, have you had – give us a quick Southwestern lesson in just one second. I I wanted to alert you that Justin Chappell is joining us in a little – while, and he is the director of culinary director of Food and Wine, both online and the magazine. And he has done a cookbook called Just Cook It, and it has been a long time since a book made me want to cook every single thing in it. This guy is something. He has great taste, and his job is to make things easy. 
easier than when they come in the door from a lot of fancy people, chefs and celebrity, this, that, and the other thing. So that's what he does. And so he's got the home cook in mind. So we're going to talk with him in just a little while on the show. So stay with us for that. So Alex, have you learned anything new being a halftime in the Southwest? You're in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Have you learned anything new about cooking Southwestern? So we've been using the mesquite twigs that we get in the yard the same way in Connecticut you would save your clippings from your fruit trees. Here we have mesquite trees, so I just go through the yard and collect them. And you can actually go to like a box store and get mesquite chunks and chips and everything. You mean here? Sure, in the northeast you can find it pretty easily. And what it does is it's just a really easy way when you're grilling outside to add a lot of flavor and maybe cut back on salt just because the mesquite is so strong and it – you know, we're using it for salmon, on chicken, and ribs. It's just fun. So, mm, really <laughs> fun. Nice. If you use the chips at home, just wet the chips, put them in a little envelope made out of aluminum foil, poke some holes, and then throw them on the grill. On a gas grill, too. Sure. Uh-huh. You know, the other thing we've been doing is um, we've been making, like, burritos and stuff. And instead of using white rice, we've been substituting brown rice and wild rice and uh, having a lot of fun using whole wheat tortilla. So trying to... You know, keep this stuff healthy, too. Good okay. idea. It still yeah. tastes awesome. Do you put meat in the burritos? We made carnitas the other day called Lower Valley Carnitas. We found the best cookbook for Southwest food. What is it? It's called The Border Cookbook by Cheryl and Bill Jamison. No pictures in this cookbook, but it's a really wonderful way of kind of deciphering the Southwest cuisine. We're, like, loving this cookbook. And do you go out to the market and say, you know, what does this mean? What are they talking about here? No, seriously, that's what I would do. I would say, what's this crema? You know, what do I do with it? That's fun. So I'm doing the old Ina Garden thing. I'm just buying it all and then bringing it home and opening them up and trying brands and trying to figure out what salsa verde is. And and you, you can't pronounce it in Spanish. You have to give it, like, the salsa verde. Like, you know, pronunciation <laughs> instead of like, oh, una salsa verde. It's more like salsa verde. <laughs> so, so. You're becoming a native. <laughs> local. Yeah. You're a local guy. Oh, Good. that's a Palo Verde tree. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of fun. All right. We have some wines to tell you about. So we've got a choice for you. We've got a wine at $20 from Spain, and we have a wine from Napa Valley at $25. Let's start with the $25 bottle. Thank you. Okay. So this is called Yardstick. It's from Napa. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon. At $25 a bottle, it's a little higher than our normal price point. It's a good bottle to bring over to somebody's house. Wonderful with a little chill on it if you're going to be having steaks or lamb on the grill. Mm. And this is good. This is very good. And it's delicious. It's um, actually quite affordable yeah, for, a Napa, for a Napa wine. It's got good mm. structure too, right? I mean that's for – really for 20 bucks for a Napa wine. That's not a bad price. So what are you tasting? A little – I get a lot of that rich dark berries mm. like uh, blackberries and currant mm. and – Maybe a – yes, a little drop of plum. Yeah. And that uh, sort of dryness on the sides of your mouth that happens from the tannin in the wine and provides structure to the wine so that it stands up nicely to the food that you're having, usually protein, some kind of meat, So, especially grilled food. So everything Mm. gets better because of that good combination. Uh, Four out of five yummies. Four out of five. Four out of five. Four out of okay. five yummies. So that's no, yar- no sharp edges too. Yeah. Really round. Yeah, that's why I like kind it. of yeah. 
opulent. So this would be for a, a young wine, right? Yeah. Because it is a young wine. It's not very tannic, right? It's got nice structure, but it doesn't like burn you on the sides of your it, mouth. Yeah, it doesn't no, hit you over the head yeah. with that tea bag yeah. thing. So, nope. so, mm-hmm. so this sounds like a Saturday night grill a steak and have a cab and a slab kind of, you know, exactly. a little special bottle. Yes, and exactly. And you know how we all, I think, here in the room like these. We like our reds to go into the refrigerator for a little while, 20 minutes. Yeah, just, just to chill them a little bit. Get, take it, off, get them a right? little bit chilled. Some reds mm-hmm. I will chill fully. Oh, totally. And serve them just 100%. point blank cold mm-hmm. because it makes the red wines appealing, right, Alex? Yeah, there's real science to it. You know, alcohol evaporates at like 120 degrees. So when it's your bottle of wine's on the counter at 75 or 80 degrees, that alcohol is evaporating out and it, it's changing the way the wine mm-hmm. tastes and, and smells. Mm-hmm. So. Chilling it Stronger, gets right? it back down to the way the winemaker made it because they're making it in a you know their wine cellar that's fifty five degrees. It's cool in there, and that's how they're blending. So if you take it out of that and put it in an eighty degree kitchen, it's not tasting the way they blended it. Okay, Alex is at KJZZ in Phoenix, Arizona, where he's spending half the time, and we're getting to hear about Southwestern food when he's on that end, and then we talk regular stuff when Alex is in this studio. KJZZ is a public station in Phoenix, so there are a sister brother station. And then here comes our second wine. That one we just did, Yardstick, is online at foochmoose.org from Napa Valley. It's a cab, Cabernet Sauvignon, $25. Now we come to the $20 bottle of wine, and this wine happens to be one of my all-time favorites on the show. I love wines from Spain. And this is one that I guess, I don't know, we turned this into. <laughs> this sold out. <laughs> like Mark's kissing the bottle. This sold out about 5 billion times yeah. the first time we did it on the show. And, you know, here it is back again, a new vintage. It's called Museum. And it's the oh, Reserva. Yeah. And you know this wine. Alex. Yeah, I love it. Okay. So, Mark, this is a Tempranillo. So, in terms of wine, the two of you, what does that mean? If you're a Pinot Noir drinker, you'll love Tempranillo. They're similarly profiled wines. Much more delicate than Cabernet, a little bit Um, more uh, mm, soft, mm, mm. but Tempranillos can be bold as well. Mm. And this is old vine Tempranillo. Very, yeah. And this is 60 to 80 year old vines. So when you're talking about wines made from vineyards of that age, the characteristics that they're grabbing is just super intense. This is a wine, this museum, that is juicy in your mouth. Mm. It has a little streak of elegance in there. And it has it's a little sporty because you can taste Mm. just a whiff of bing in there. But it has this juicy, juicy quality in your mouth and going down Mm. your throat. It is a wine that is spectacular with food. That's why I'm so madly in love with this. And it is also a wine that you can just sit and drink with nothing. It's so delicious. It's a special wine. Manchego yeah. cheese, maybe, that you can get at the grocery store. Sure. Some Manchego cheese sliced in little triangles with oh, some yeah. um, oh. olive Any. oil, some good bread. Sitting around Go sharing cheese. some jamon. And oh, my oh. goodness. Yeah. I mean, that's a classic Spanish afternoon. Yeah. 
Cabernet, we think of going really well with steak, but Rioja goes really well with steak, too. And oh, yeah. In Spain, they would Agreed. do, like, entrecote, and then they would do, like, mm. a ribeye with uh, in, a salsa right? roquefort. They just, at the very end, reduce some cream with some roquefort cheese Ooh. and pour that on top. And uh, <laughs> that with an old Rioja, I mean, that, that's as good as it gets. Mm. With some white asparagus and mayonnaise. We always talk about Argentina being known for Malbec, but one of the things I've seen on the scene down there in Mendoza more and more growers are producing Tempranillo. And it's a lot for the local market down there, but there's a lot of Spanish influence down there. And uh, the Tempranillo they're making down there is being served with a lot of grilled foods. Well, Mark, thank you for bringing this one in. And this is on our site too, the Museum Reserve. It's at foodschmooze.org. Highly, highly recommend this to you for just about anything and everything, whether it's sitting around drinking with friends or having this with all kinds of foods, grilled food is, especially, but anything. I is adore it still this. in that beautiful bottle? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, it has, it has, it has like a, a heavy bottle. silver plate as yeah. the label. And it, so it is a beautiful presentation coming into the house. Yeah, that's one of my favorite all-time ones as well. You do? You have love it at the sharing house? it with everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's why I'm coming. Home. Yeah, it's <laughs> and affordable, and, you know, and really it's affordable. Fifty dollars. Yeah, it's not sixty. But no, it, it came be. from anywhere else. Yeah. It would be forty or yeah. sixty or Agreed. whatever. Agreed. No, it's, Agreed. It's only twenty because it's. From and you Spain, know something? But... I would pay forty. Yeah. That's how this yeah. drinks, this wine. So whether you're into the Napa, which we have on the mm-hmm. website, or into this. Different wines for different times. Museum Reserve. Please go to the site, foodschmooze.org, and you will see everything you need to know about them, including what you need to say at your wine store. Call ahead before you go. They can't stock everything. They'll have it within 24 hours if you're calling at a reasonable hour. So Absolutely. That's yeah. not a problem at all. This is really one to try. E- either one. Very nice. So you guys did the cat first and then the Rioja second? Yeah. You, yeah. How did that work? It showed up really, really well. The Tempranillo can hold up. And it's yeah. a lighter style. It's yeah. a lighter style Napa cab. So Yeah. You know, when I first met Faith, I told her that I was a a white wine drinker and I didn't have any experience really with red wines. And she said, I know how to turn you on to red wines if you're a little hesitant. You need to start with a Tempranillo. If you start with that wine, you will become a red wine lover in no time. And uh, she was right. (laughs) Really good starting point. Wow. So you, you still love white wines too? Of course they do. Yeah, and rosé. For some reason, red wines are slightly more intimidating to someone who doesn't know all that much about wine. Maybe it's because I eat a lot of fish, so I I gravitate toward whites because it goes so well with that. Faith said if you're just jumping into these waters, you know, to put a toe in, Tempranillo is the one to try. That's your toe. Friendly. (laughs) Very friendly. And speaking of fish, Tempranillo Riojas go really well with salmon. Just like oh. Pinot Noir does. They do. So that's uh, – yeah. and I would do what Faith does, on chill it, and, and then that's like on the grill. That's and, a great you know, dinner. This one that we're trying here, I have had with swordfish on the grill. Oh, sure. And oh, it yeah. was fantastic. Mm. Well, swordfish you know, is the steak of fish. Yes. It really works. You know, it's a, that funny thing. I just – besides maybe – I mean – Maybe a red spaghetti sauce you could even get away with. I don't think – I think that's the one thing I wouldn't do. No, I wouldn't. Yeah, no. no. Although it's surprising. The German, but I bet you – Do you know the Germans do that with their with their wines often? Really? Yes. They they have it with spaghetti sauce and they – and I don't mean something yeah. like a Chianti. I'm okay they with just, that. They just – they think that even their white wines are great with spaghetti sauce, mm. red yeah. sauce. <laughs> 
It's just unbelievable. I'm okay with it. <laughs> All right. Coming up in uh, our, our segment in a little while, we're going to have Justin Chapel, who is the culinary director at Food and Wine. He's got a new cookbook out that I adore. It's called Just Cook It. Chris just made something from the book, and we just sat down and ate it and tried some of the wines. We're just having a blast with you. We're so glad to be with you. More mouthwatering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back. If I could bottle this up, bottle, bottle this up, I would, I would bottle this up. Faith Middleton. You can sign up for our free podcast of the show. It means a copy of the show. It arrives in your inbox every week, and then you can listen on your schedule whenever you want to. You can save them. You can go back and listen again. They're also posted. Uh, the podcast is at our site whenever you want it, foodschmooze.org. I'm with my treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, wine broker Alex Province who's talking with us from Phoenix, and Mark Raymond, all senior contributors, and senior producer Robin Doyen Aiken. I promised you we would get to this guy because I'm pretty madly in love with this cookbook and this guy, I have to say. Justin Chapel is culinary director at Food & Wine. His new cookbook, Just Cook It, had me dying to make every recipe on these pages. And you know what? The recipes are designed to be home cook friendly. That's what I love about them. Justin, in his job, he tests and develops recipes at Food and Wine in the test kitchen. I think of him as a kind of haiku man. You know, he, he figured out the essentials of recipes so that restaurant dishes, chefy people coming in the door, all those recipes are pared down to their haiku essentials. And then I think Justin has great taste, taste I can really identify with, and that's what makes me want to cook everything. I'm talking about this, a gluten-free pepperoni breakfast pizza. Okay, a fingerling potato dish with 40 cloves of garlic. A chocolate pie that is covered edge to edge in salted roasted peanuts. I defy you to bring that out and not have people go crazy. So, Justin, are you at Food & Wine right now? I am. I am actually hanging out in an office here at Food & Wine. Okay, so welcome to the Food Schmooze Party. It's wonderful <laughs> to have you. Just Cook It features 145 built-to-be-easy recipes, 
And the guy does have a thing about delicious in a way that I, I think I do, too. Can we start with something? Chris Prosperi, I asked if he would make the classic meatloaf sandwiches that you do that have that jam. I can eat a meatloaf sandwich probably three times a day mm. and all year long. I don't oh, care yeah. what season it is. Yeah. Chris, tell me how this came together. Yeah, it came together so easy. And the title of the book really came through as I was making it, if that makes any sense. Because following his instructions, it really is just – you can almost hear him. Just cook it. Stop reading too much. I think there's an exclamation point in the title too, you know. Yeah. yeah. And it is It is just cook it. So you preheat the oven and then you, you heat up a pan. You put in a, a little bit of oil and some onions and garlic and a pinch of salt and pepper and you cook that. In a bowl, you do uh, eggs – breadcrumb, milk, Worcestershire salt, some salt and pepper, mm-hmm. cook the onions, then you cool it a little bit, you mix it in with the eggs and the breadcrumb, then you throw in your meat. Meatloaf. Yeah, it's meatloaf, but it's like, I don't know, whenever I make meatloaf, even in my restaurant, sometimes I overthink it, and I'm like, oh, what's it going to do? And No, you just do it. It's the simplest recipe on earth, and I did exactly like he said. You just throw it all together. I put it in a little bit of a loaf kind of shape, threw bacon over the top of it, threw it in the oven, didn't think about it again until the timer went off. So these had, were delicious sandwiches. I had great sandwiches. meatloaf. Okay. Now, he, but the jam is yeah. the key to this sandwich, mm-hmm. I think. Agreed. And Chris brought in uh, fresh from the farm some arugula, and so we put that on, and then the jam. Yeah, the jam is another great recipe because I always do my jams on the stove, but this one, it's the same kind of recipe I've always done except you roast it in the oven. So you take plum tomatoes that you've cored and chopped, brown sugar, a little bit of red wine vinegar, some salt, and some chili pepper flakes, and you basically mix it all up, put it in a 9 by 13 pan, chuck it in the oven, and really every once in a while go in the oven, pull it out just with a spoon. I just sort of sloshed it around in there, shook it up, threw it back in the oven until it got syrupy, and then you just mash it all up, throw it in a jar again. Just cook it. I'm so glad that you guys prepared this recipe because it's one of my favorites. It brings me back to my childhood. My grandma made meatloaf every week. And when I first started cooking, when I moved out on my own, meatloaf was one of the first things that I made. And my roommate at the time didn't eat red meat. And so I always had leftovers. And I learned to enjoy it better as a sandwich. And then, of course, as I learned more about cooking and over the years that I've been at Food & Wine, I experimented with making condiments at home. And so the fact that you love the tomato jam is just making me beam right now. I think one of the things that should be pointed out is that it's only five ingredients. And with five ingredients, you can have a condiment on hand that is not only delicious on a meatloaf sandwich, but it's great on a piece of toast. It's great with crackers or on a turkey sandwich. It's just such a fun, smart way of using up the, you know, the excess plum tomatoes that we're going to have. Justin, I have to ask, did your grandma ever make it just white bread, meatloaf, and yellow mustard? Oh, my gosh, of course. We even ate it in hot dog buns. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, awesome. <laughs> that's a great idea, it. actually. So I'm reading along, and I get to a picture of you, Justin, and you were slicing something, and I said, oh, he's married. You had a wedding band on in the thing. That got me thinking about how if you're a food person and you just love it and think about it and read you know, cookbooks in bed, and you know, if you're like that – When you're dating somebody, their reaction to food is very important. How was that on your radar? Did you agree about food together in the beginning, or did you have a good exchange about food and where you said, oh, I can go through my life with this person, and we're going to just love food together? 
Well, you know, it's a, that's an important thing that people need to consider because if you like to eat and you like to cook at home, I mean, that's something that your significant other definitely needs to agree on. My husband, Jason, and I, when we first met, the first person to cook was he actually made salmon at home and it was delicious. And I was like, okay, somebody else who likes to cook at home, I'm ready to go. And, <laughs> and then as I was writing the book, he became, you know, my main critic. He, he has such a happy palate. He likes to really eat anything. And so if he really thought something wasn't right, I took it very seriously. And I went back to the drawing board and I said, okay, he who eats everything, if he doesn't love it, then I'm going to redo it. And he's like a bull shark. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, license plates, shovels, plastic, whatever, whatever. (laughs) Recyclables. Um, Yeah, everything. So here for our vegetarian friends especially, and by the way, that meatloaf recipe with the jam is at our website, foodschmooze.org, and so is this, roasted carrot and avocado panzanella. So that is a bread oh, salad, right? Bread salad that you would normally have with tomatoes and onions and oil and vinegar and the little bread cubes would soak up all the dressing and it's just a Mm. fabulous thing. But with roasted carrots and avocado, this is a really smart idea. I can't wait to make this. So tell me how this came to be. Roasting carrots and pairing it with avocado is, I wouldn't say it's kind of a new idea. There's some chefs out in the world, lots of them, Jamie Oliver being one of them. Mm. Um, Alex Stupak here in New York City, he's another one who loves to pair them together. I've always loved that combination. But the the way this recipe came together is one of my friends is an actor. His name's Jesse Tyler Ferguson. He's on the show called Modern Family. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, we love I, him. I, I, He's so funny. <laughs> oh, my God. And he actually has a food blog that he started with a friend of his named Julie. And, you know, they were kind of having a launch party. And so he asked if I wanted to come out to L.A. and go to the launch party. So I stayed with him for the weekend. And then he didn't tell me, but we were actually going to a potluck brunch. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. So what do I do? And so we went to the, the market. And I said to myself, okay, what can I make that will travel well, but that will be surprising and seasonal and, you know, make people say, wow. And I said, I'm going to do the carrot and avocado salad because much like you, Faith, people hear the combination and they're like, wow, that's wacky. But it really, really works. And I said, mm-hmm. to take it one step further, I'm going to do a riff on a panzanella, which is a classic bread salad. And so I roasted the carrots with lots of fresh orange juice and lemon juice and coriander seeds and cumin seeds so that they got just tender enough, but they still had a little bite to them. And I tossed that together with some fresh avocado slices, some toasted sourdough bread, some watercress. And, you know, it just came together so nicely. And the reason it was so ideal for a potluck was because the bread, when it's toasted and it starts to absorb the juices and the dressing, it stays a little crisp, but then it gets a little chewy. And by the time you get to a party or a brunch or whatever you're making it for, it's like the perfect texture, and it has absorbed all oh, that really delicious flavor. This is a good picnic idea. That's a great picnic idea. Yes, I love it. I can be very boring with vegetables, and I realize I will eat more vegetables if I get more creative, and so this was inspiring to me. So I thank you for that one. Now, I'm going to do something crazy. Normally, we would save the desserts to the end because that's where they go, <laughs> but I can't resist this. I I took one look at this picture and I thought, I am going to die. It's your chocolate peanut pie. So imagine a chocolate pie in a pie plate and every single space on the entire top covered with 
roasted salted peanuts. Go home. The whole, <laughs> yeah. It is just like, I was like, oh my God. And it has a graham cracker crust. So but oh. for, if you're gluten-free, you could swap that out for some gluten-free thing like uh, ginger snaps, gluten-free ginger snaps, right? Exactly. Or yeah. you could do like a gluten-free pretzel crust or anything like that. Mm. Really, that's Salty. Mm, that's yeah, that's a great idea. And peanuts. Oh my God, I love that. Okay, so <laughs> so we're going to skip the dessert and then we're going to go to some other things that I absolutely adore. This is on our website too, foochmoose.org and you're going to want this. <laughs> so it's a graham cracker crumbs, stick of butter, light brown sugar, salt, a little bit of, well, okay, fair amount of heavy cream, <laughs> uh, semi-sweet <laughs> chocolate chips, and honey roasted peanuts, which makes it even better because mm. you've got that salty sweet yes. thing going on yeah which we love on this show <sighs> oh my gosh i love honey honey roasted peanuts are one of my secret weapons in the kitchen they have a ton of flavor they're my favorite thing to snack on and i love a chocolate pie no matter what and what i think people don't realize and i'm hoping that i inspire people when they see this recipe is that making a chocolate pie is actually really really simple and the shortcut i use is rather than going through the process of making a chocolate custard, which can be a little finicky and a little time-consuming, I skip the nonsense and I actually go right for a chocolate ganache, which makes it really rich and really flavorful. And most importantly, it makes it really easy. You just heat up some heavy cream, you pour it over some chocolate chips, and you let it melt. And that's literally the whole entire filling. It's two-ingredient filling. It's really? That is it. That's, that's it. the recipe. <laughs> Perfect. Like that's so the hardest, good. The hardest part of the recipe is actually making the graham cracker crust. But if you're a fan of the store-bought graham cracker crust that you can buy in the refrigerator section, use that. Go for the chocolate ganache, buy the honey roasted peanuts, and you literally have a four-ingredient, really decadent, beautiful dessert. It's one of my favorite recipes in the whole book. Wow. I'm so glad that you're featuring oh. it. I was thinking, oh, oh why is it? I want this on the cover. <laughs> I want this across the whole back. I just I'd like a poster of this in my house. It's... And I'm still trying to figure out. So the peanuts go on top, and it's the whole top is covered with peanuts. So do you just Looks pave so them good. on? No, the whole How do you... top, yeah. Gather them on top, and I just press them a little bit with my hands yeah, and before make it stick to the ganache. And then it hardens, right? Ganache gets really thick. Yeah. Um, not It doesn't get too thick, but it gets just thick enough, and then it kind of holds on to the peanuts. But you know what? If some of the peanuts fall off when you cut it, it doesn't matter. Just pick them up and eat them. Yeah, that's <laughs> don't right. You, yeah. Don't you think we have to dream up a word for ganache? I think the word ganache scares mm-hmm. uh, home cooks who aren't... Skilled with baking, I am one of them. I do the simplest desserts because I'm terrified of baking. I'm the first to admit it. And ganache makes me think, uh uh-oh. Chocolate pie filling. Or or chocolate pudding pie. You know, I mean, what can we say? Melted chocolate filling. Sometimes I like to call, I just tell people that it's like a chocolate cream because I use ganache in different forms. So you can't, for all the different things, you wouldn't really be able to call it ganache. But what I've done throughout the dessert section, I've kind of made versions of ganache in all different kinds of recipes. So obviously the filling on my chocolate peanut pie is a ganache. It's a true ganache. But then I've taken what a ganache is and I've transformed it into other things. Like for example, my DIY chocolate truffles, where I make a version of ganache using chocolate chips and sweetened condensed milk. But it's sort of the same technique. You're basically just melting the chocolate in a dairy. I also use it in um, my hot chocolate. It's kind of a version of ganache mm-hmm. just in a different texture. But then, of course, I have the simplest chocolate mousse, and it yeah. is literally the easiest chocolate mousse you'll ever make in your life. And I made it because I accidentally made 
a ganache that was too thin. Oh, and nice. I, and what did you whip it? Yeah, and then I whipped it. <laughs> and then it's <laughs> Pour it into popsicle stick yeah. holder things and throw them in the refrigerator oh, yeah, or that the freezer. <laughs> I was doing a cooking demonstration recently where I was making the mousse and showing people because mousse is something that people are afraid of, much like ganache. And I learned how to make it in culinary school, and I still don't love to make it at home because it's all about maintaining the right temperatures. So one time when I was making it, I put too much cream and not enough chocolate. The ganache was too thin, so what I did was I added a little bit more cream to thin it out even more. And ultimately what I had was a chocolate-heavy cream. And mm-hmm. so then I stirred in a little cocoa powder to make it extra chocolatey. Then I chilled the whole thing, and it was almost like a really thick chocolate milk. And then so I, I would have drank that after. probably. Well, I did drink some of it, just to be quite <laughs> <No>. honest. <laughs> but How I could you not? It Jason, taste this. <laughs> um, try this. <laughs> this is good for you. Okay, um, so here is. Lemon, you know, I just had a thought. Let's take the show, Justin. Well, what if we took the show into your test kitchen and we did the show from there together, all of us together doing stuff? Oh my gosh, that would be so funny. We might get into trouble though. <laughs> oh, that's good. We're not opposed to that. I know. <laughs> no, no we, might about it. <laughs> we like that. You might okay. just have to walk there. So, and walk so. Home. <laughs> Let me just say that on the other side of this quick break we're going to take, I'm going to keep talking with Justin because this book, Just Cook It, it's on our website, all the information about it. Some of the recipes are up there, including the chocolate peanut pie. But there are other recipes in here that I'm just blown away by. And Justin has these tricks he does where he streamlines things, takes steps out and makes it simple, but preserves big flavor. So we're going to get to the lemony artichoke dip in just a minute. And I'll tell you what his hack is on this. But for right now, stay right where you are. We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers to get the podcast free of the Food Schmooze Party every week. To find all of our curated recommendations, go to foodschmooze.org, and don't go away. People thought the world was flat, then they learned that it was square, so they had to find another way to roll. Seize the day and celebrate, eat and drink and marry thee, and savor every cherry in the bowl. Oh, we're having a party, a big, big party. We're having a big, 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 big party. Yeah, we're having a party. Ba-da-ba-da-ba-ba. Party, party.
This is the Food Schmooze Party offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, East End of Long Island, the Hamptons, of course. Senior producer is Robin Doyen Aiken. And to hear this show on Connecticut Public Radio, it airs Thursdays at 3 and 9 and Saturdays at noon. Podcasts, our curated recommendations are always online at foodschmooze.org. O-R-G. Our guest, of course, is Justin Chapel. Love, love, love his cookbook called Just Cook It, 145 Built-to-Be-Easy Recipes. He's director of the culinary program at Food & Wine, so he's the guy who makes things easy for us to understand, simplifies them, and yet preserves the integrity of the recipe, the stuff that makes you say, wow, I think he does. So here's this Justin, lemony artichoke dip. And I stay away from cleaning artichokes because I just think, oh, even though I adore, I could have them every day. I just think, I don't have it in me to go through all this. And tell me what your hack is on this. This was great. My hack, believe it or not, and hear me out, is frozen artichoke. I know a lot of people kind of look down on frozen vegetables. I happen to think two of them are indispensable. One is frozen peas. I think we can all agree. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to use than buying fresh ones. But the other one is artichokes. And that's because they take the work out of using artichokes. I know that all of us are food people and we I'm sure we've all attempted to clean artichokes. I've paired one into nothing before where I just kept cutting and then I ended up with nothing except for the the choke or whatever. (laughs) The that's fiber. That's, it's, it's so intimidating. And you start going, and then you're trying to make it in, and you're trying to... I mean, I, I worked in fine dining restaurants where I had to turn... We call it turning artichokes. Yep. And I had to turn artichokes for hours, and it was just, like, so stressful because if you... If they didn't look right, then you, you kept whittling them down and then end up with nothing. A case of artichokes is this big thing. And when you're done, you get, like, this bowl. little bowl thing. And you're like, where did it all go? Exactly. <laughs> And so I discovered frozen artichokes. I love them. I just defrost them, put them on a little paper towel, get the excess moisture off, and they have so much artichoke flavor. And so when I make artichoke dip at home, that's all I do now. Oh, yeah. Why do you hear this? So there's mayonnaise, lemon zest, uh, lemon juice, garlic, Tabasco, or Frank's hot sauce, the frozen artichoke hearts that you coarsely chop. They've been patted dry. Some shredded Monterey Jack cheese, fresh chives, panko breadcrumbs, a little bit of butter, and then what you're serving this lemony artichoke dip with. So this all just goes together, right? Yep, with the exception of breadcrumbs, which go on top. But everything else just literally gets mixed together in a bowl. That's all you do. And then you put it in a baking dish, top it with the breadcrumbs, and you just bake it till top. You don't have to worry about any of it being cooked through. It's mind-blowing how quickly it comes together. So, Mark, this is a kind of thing where when people come over, we talk about this, you know, putting out certain things. Right. And I thought, oh, I have to do this, this lemony artichoke dip. And then, you know what flew into my head, Justin, is I thought, oh, when it comes out of the oven, I want to put it on pasta. Do you I'm think it could work? Oh, yeah. A few, a few <laughs> scoops of this on pos- hot pasta and just oh mix it. Anything on pasta works. <laughs> right. You can actually just take the mixture and toss it with cooked noodles and put that into a baking dish. Ooh, so it's like yeah. baked pasta. Oh, right. Just yeah. maybe undercook the pasta a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And now you have basically uh, artichoke mac and cheese. Oh, yeah. yeah. You still have me on the frozen artichokes. I have to look for these now because I love artichokes. I just don't ever use them because they're a pain. I'm still not sure oh, what part you're supposed to eat. <laughs> 
Well, it's, you want to eat everything but the choke, that's for sure. The choke is the little furry part. A, yeah, don't eat the furry part. And the, the spine, so obviously the little the little needles, but you don't want to eat those. But yeah. the only time I really buy whole artichokes anymore is if I'm going to steam them and eat them whole. They're yeah, delicious yeah. that way, but they're also they, they don't require any work because you yep. just steam them whole and then you, you eat them. Eat the bottom of the but leaf thing, yeah. Yep, scrape the leaves off in your teeth, and it's so delicious. But like, if you're going to use them for cooking, it's so much work. Uh, you sold me. Frozen so, so when you're buying them frozen, are they already peeled? Yeah. Peeled yeah, back. They're already cleaned. So it's and just the hearts. Quarters. Yeah. It's the and, heart with the leaf ends, which is the part that you can just eat fully. Because yeah. I've seen them in cans before. So these oh, are, yeah. and I'm guessing are better ones. than not the same. Yeah, not the same. Yeah, not. I don't like candles. Yeah, the the ones in cans tend to be a little bit more cooked, and they're yeah. almost like brined. They taste like tin. Go ahead. <laughs> have a little bit of metallic flavor, but what I will say, I do love our marinated artichokes in the jar. Me I do too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Okay, so I thought, oh, your dad is my kind of guy, because you have his recipe. It is a gluten free pepperoni breakfast pizza. It's actually a little bit of a play on words because growing up, my dad would make this and he always called it breakfast pizza. But as I got older and I went to culinary school and I started working for Food and Wine and I became more knowledgeable, I realized he was just making a frittata that was like jam-packed with ingredients. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. But I think the pepperoni crumble on the top is a really terrific idea. Oh, yeah. Basically, for the whole recipe, I saute red potatoes. I love, I don't know why, but red potatoes to me always feel like breakfast. I mean, right? Because isn't that what home fries are usually made of? Yeah. I saute that with just a little chopped pepperoni. And when I spread it in the pan and then I add the eggs, I kind of flatten it out and then I top it with mozzarella cheese and more pepperoni slices. And then I bake that and it ends up looking exactly like pepperoni pizza, except it's a potato, pepperoni, and egg frittata. And I cut it, and it gets, because it has so many potatoes in it, you could still slice it into wedges and eat it like pizza. Oh, that is just good. And, you know, if you're, you want to fancy it up, or if you're someone who loves chorizo, um, you could do that instead of your pepperoni. I mean, I thought, I'm going to make that for my family. You have so much fun with that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Or or if you're out on the Cape, you can do linguiza. Yeah. Or Stonington, Connecticut. Look you throwing in the local. He um, loves the local too. Can I? Can I? Do, yeah. So I, I just want to mention, I'm a, a fan of roasted potatoes, and I saw this fingerlings. You know those little tiny potatoes, mm-hmm. and you slice them in half so that they get uh, caramelized on both sides, with 40 cloves of garlic. Now, really, it's 20 cloves of garlic cut in half, but that's okay. <laughs> it's sort of is 40 cloves of garlic. And we're talking about some fresh thyme and rosemary and the extra virgin olive oil and the garlic cloves and lemon slices. And into the pan it goes and into the oven it goes. Any time of year, even in the summer, what a fabulous thing to bring out. Just plop Yum. that pan, she pan down on the table. So delicious. And start. Whew, so good. Okay. I've been waiting and waiting. This Thai skillet corn. Where in the world did this come from? This is so smart. (laughs) So skillet corn is a thing in the South. Mm -hmm. It it basically just means you take corn off the cob, you cut it off the cob, and you just saute it. And traditionally, it would be done in a cast iron skillet because that's very Southern. And so I love to cook corn that way. I eat so much corn in the summer. We do too. You know, sometimes I love to take it off the cob and just make a warm salad, which is what this skillet corn is. And... It's just a lot of corn, but with Thai flavors. So it's inspired by the flavors of some of the stuff that I eat when I order Thai food. Coconut and fresh lime juice and 
salty Asian fish sauce and a little bit of sugar, I bring all those things together and I saute the corn in a nice hot cast iron skillet. Then you get that really fun, sweet and sour flavor. Uh-huh. It's so perfect in this dish because you're getting that salty fish sauce, but then you're getting the little bit of sweetness from the sugar and corn. It's just so good Heaven. and it's so simple. So Heavenly dish. smart as an yeah. idea. We're like you are. We're totally into corn, 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 corn. I need when, a new one, though, every when year. The season start, yeah, <laughs> you, you start to think of, and I love to do the skillet with the caramelized corn, and but, you know, I'm looking for things to do. This recipe serves four to six. If it's in my house, it serves two. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking if you took, like, lettuce leaves to make a little burrito. Tacos. That's a good idea. But also, if you want to bulk it up, though, is you can actually just stir in some shredded rotisserie chicken or some poached shrimp just to heat it through, and you Mm. have, like, this whole meal. And Mm. even that, to your point, would be delicious in a lettuce wrap, maybe with a little sriracha on top. Yum. It also could be one of those uh, summer rolls. With rice, oh, rice paper so or as a wrap. Uh, They're really fun. You have to try that. Let me know. Ones. So burgers. We're all into burgers. We're not vegetarians on the show, though. We try and eat more vegetables in our meals and all that stuff. I'm interested in burgers that are, you know, not all beef. And you have a quinoa burger in here with an avocado mayo and pea shoots if you around some place where you can get those. You could put in anything you want. But I love the uh, crispiness of this as a burger because that's what's missing in a lot of vegetarian burgers is that crunch, crispy mm. thing. The texture thing, yeah. yeah. Oftentimes when you eat the black bean burgers, they're just a little too soft and soggy. Yep. So this is quinoa, eggs, breadcrumbs, parsley, shallots, touch of cornstarch. We're going to explain why. Garlic, clove, olive oil. You put these on English muffins, you do, and you make an avocado mayo. There's a recipe in here for that. You can do some sliced cucumber or lettuce or arugula, whatever you've got around. So the cornstarch is what people will wonder about. Right. So the cornstarch is actually just used as a binder here. You really just need it to kind of absorb some of the excess moisture that your cooked quinoa might have or the egg. And when all that comes together, it forms a really nice texture. And it's that texture that's going to keep these in a burger shape. So, and I don't think people should be too concerned with a little bit of cornstarch because a little goes a long way. And it's an ingredient that I use every now and then. It's really helpful in stuff like this. We have, all of us, lots of gluten-free friends. And it is something that comes in so handy for things you have to fry. Uh, if you want to get a thickening sauces, if you want to get a, instead of flour, if you want to get a little bit of a, a brown on something. We just love that. So, Alex, you were smart enough to talk about putting that stuff into a lettuce leaf. And Justin actually has a recipe in here for a quinoa pork larb. So um, this is like a larb is, it's like a salad, right? Is, and it's where's Middle Eastern or is it? It's a Southeast salad. It's in Laos and Northern Thailand. It's usually served warm and it's almost always made with pork. But sometimes it's made with beef, sometimes it's made with duck. In America now, a lot of times we use even turkey or chicken or whatever. This is something I actually learned from chefs I work with. I happen to really adore the book I wrote. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) a lot of the reason I do is because I get to incorporate things that I've learned in all my years at Food & Wine and testing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of recipes from big-name chefs. And they teach me oftentimes everything from technique to how to be a little bit healthier. And this is one of those 
things that I learned from a chef friend of mine named Missy Robbins, where Mm. she has a restaurant in Brooklyn. What she says sometimes is she'll be making a dish that traditionally calls for a certain amount of meat, and she literally just substitutes half the meat for something healthier. And that's what I've done here. So uh, for this salad, which is traditionally all ground meat, you take out half the ground meat, and I put in half quinoa, and it makes it just a little bit healthier so you can feel better about eating it. What I also realized was it actually adds like a really nice nutty flavor, the quinoa does, and it made this really just fun, well-rounded dish that Mm. I'm really, really proud of. So we're talking about, almost out of time, but uh, quinoa and just a half a pound of ground pork and fresh lime juice. Again, the Asian fish sauce is back, minced shallots, sriracha, a little touch of sugar, garlic clove, a fresh cilantro is back again fresh mint so you can see that Thai profile and this goes into a lettuce leaf and you eat it with your fingers it's it's a thing in the summertime especially that I just adore eating I just feel it tastes so delicious on and on it goes Uh, I wanted to be able to talk about the pineapple roasted pork shoulder but we're almost out of time Uh, your gluten free chocolate cherry peanut cookies and these speedy preserved lemons where you don't have to wait weeks for this to you just simmer these lemons on the stovetop for a little while and then put that simmer water on top of the lemons into a jar and they're done the simmering does the same thing that weeks and weeks of waiting with salt does it's just fantastic speedy preserved lemons love it okay so you can tell i really like this book i think you know oh, yeah. that <laughs> yeah That's the game on this show. We just pick the things we like. Don't think we just praise everything. These are carefully and I think well chosen. So thank you, Justin Chappell, for doing this. And yeah, because you're great. Oh my gosh, I really appreciate it. You guys are great. Thank you. Just Cook It is the name of the book. We're on Connecticut Public Radio, Thursdays at 3 and 9, and Saturdays at noon. Weekdays, listen for my 60-second food schmoozes, and never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Hey, don't want the party to end? Well, neither do we. Talk with us anytime online at foodschmooze.org.